Welcome to the Church for Dummies podcast, where we explain church history and ecclesiology to dumb people like us. Now here are your hosts, Josh Whitney and Isaac Thibodeau. You gonna keep doing it? <laughs> what? You gonna keep doing it? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we do a pre-recorded intro. Well, I did it so well the first time that we just kept it and then looped in my voice to to talk over it. Right. But yeah, it's hard to replicate how well I did it the first time, so we just left it there. Yeah. Yeah. So how you doing, man? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, doing good. Really glad to be back here. It's always fun. I look forward to these moments. It's been a while, though. It's been a while. Been a while. Dude, that song that I just... So, it's been a while. That's a song? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I think it's Stained, maybe? Uh, don't. I think it's an explicit song, so don't go looking don't. it up, people. Uh, I only know that one phrase from it. <laughs> That's all I know. So, I probably should be singing it, I guess. I well, know. I, I know uh, Living <laughs> on a Prayer. All I know is... Whoa! way there and then obviously living on a prayer i don't i don't really know anything else yeah it's not true take my hand we'll make it i swear whoa we're (laughs) 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 anyways anyways it's so good to be here yeah man we're gonna talk about church history we are part four yeah i think we forgot how how many ages there are because we're this is part four of probably like at least seven. Yeah. Or maybe eight. I don't I know. know. Probably we, part seven. In the beginning, it's pretty easy because yeah. there's not a whole lot. You know, it's just the church, you know, yeah. starting to take root in the government and all this stuff. And then yeah. now after the Reformation, it's like all this crazy stuff is happening. Exactly. You know, it's like, man. Yeah. Which yeah. brings us to where we are today. That's right. We'll be talking about the age of progress, which is... 1789 through 1914. Can't argue with progress, man. Progress yeah. is good. Mm. Could you imagine a building that didn't have progress? Yeah, or Progresso Soup. Or, or Progressive Pro- Insurance. Can we talk about Progressive Insurance? Well, I work I for State Farm, I was so say, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> they're the best. I have Progressive, so this is oh, awkward. It <laughs> is awkward. We'll talk after this episode, Josh. We could just stick to a church history relationship. That's, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So uh, as you guys may remember, what we've been doing is going through these different ages of the church, kind of just generally and trying to broad brush things. By no means is this um, is this comprehensive or detailed. <laughs> or detailed. We pick, so out of everything that happened in a 200-ish year span, we pick on like an, a one- hundredth of it and talk about that for 30 minutes <laughs> yeah exactly we're just trying to generally go through to look at okay how did the church govern how did it expand how did it share the gospel all these things um it'll those, be a good framework for when because yeah. we obviously want to go in i mean the reformation itself is really fantastic yeah. and we're obviously going through that a bunch of things happened before the reformation and so this will be a good springboard that we talk about things we like yeah. we can reference back to this and it's a good it's a good foundation to understand church didn't start in 1517 <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and people 
fighting for the faith didn't start in 1517. So um, for us Protestants out there, they get really focused on our Protestantism. Yes. Um, so this is this is good. I really have been enjoying doing this and really excited to continue going forward with it. Me too, man. Cool. Yeah. So uh, let's let's go with the first question. So how did the church govern during this age of progress? Or maybe maybe we should do it this way. Yeah. Before we even get into the church, what kind of stuff is going on? So this is this is after the Revolutionary War. So America has established yep. itself yep. as a country. Yeah. Um, Separated from England. England yep. and Europe is kind of in their own sphere now instead of being far reaching into overseas it's it's mm -hmm. more located to their own continent now yeah that's true yeah there's a lot of progress in science mm -hmm. a lot of progress um in social um like different social ideologies and yeah. whatnot social political movements yeah starting to creep in even technology too yeah uh we in this era we see the invention of like the uh like steam powered um engines and we see the, the beginning of the um well it's the industrial revolution mm -hmm. too isn't it yep. yeah yeah exactly yeah all that kind of stuff so that's kind of why the age of progress is the title that that the author of um church history and plain language gave that it's era. really like the turning point for all of world history yeah it really <laughs> like is every everything to make us a modern western civilization happened yeah. in this age <laughs> Yep, definitely. So it does take its effect on the church and vice versa, the church affecting mm -hmm. this. So uh, we'll we'll get into some of that. So first of all, let's talk about how how did the church govern during this this time frame between 1789 and 1914. So as you know, Isaac just mentioned, and we've mentioned before um, when we talked about the uh, when we talked about the Reformation age, um, we've just had a bunch of uh, splintering off essentially a lot of different streams moving um so whereas before you had the apostolic age the apostolic age moved to the catholic church and it was the catholic church for 13 1400 no 1500 years um and now we've got to a more open and a more um I guess, free ver free way of the churches. So you've got the Anglicans, the Anabaptists, the Methodists, the Congregational. You just have all of these different streams. It would be very difficult to follow every single one of them and how did each church govern in all different ones. I feel like we did a pretty decent job summing it up last time Yeah. Um, during the, the Great Awakening and that time frame of the Puritans. So um, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would definitely go back. It's the the one just previously before this. Um, so instead of focusing too much on the church governing and those specific ones, because they've been established, not much has changed as far as the governing of churches. Um, something that did happen, though, in how the church governed is really the fall of the Catholic Church from political power. Yeah. Where coming up all through this, the Catholic Church and the um, and the uh, the English Empire, you know, the, the kingdoms, they were very closely together. Um, and the church, uh, the Catholic Church, had its um, had its input and its influence in a lot of different countries um, that had the papal states. Um, what um, one thing I touch on a little bit is they even had ambassadors, which was new new information for me researching this. I, I had no idea, but um, had um, 
oh gosh, I can't remember what they were called. But essentially, oh, papal, papal, um, prime minister. No, not prime, prime ministers. Wasn't it? Cardinals? Nope. No. Um, I'm, I'm opening up our book. Good idea. I'm opening up the book because it's a great book. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I even wrote down his name, I thought, but I didn't write down what he was. Um, papal states and this is so embarrassing. We might even just end up cutting this out. Nope. I don't know. Nope. nope. We're keeping <laughs> We're it. Keep it. We're keeping it. <laughs> Infallibility of the Pope. Where did I write this down? Oh my gosh. Um, papal states and revolutionaries. Yeah. Count Pellegrini. Who is he? I'm being very patient right now. You are being extremely... Pa I found his name right here. Papal Prime Minister. I was right. Papal Prime Minister. There you go. Yeah. Did you know that? No. Okay. So um, you had Papal Prime Ministers, and I just closed the book on who he was, but there... Uh, anyways, I'll touch on that later. Very brief. I might not even, because it's not extremely important to what we're doing. <laughs> but in, the, in 1789, holy cow. You guys are... If you haven't turned us off yet, you're so wonderful and or You're related saints. to us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably related. Probably related. So rewinding. So what we had was the fall of the of the Catholic Church from political power. Uh, in 1789 was the beginning of the French Revolution when um the uh when French the French Revolution um, stormed Bastille and like took it over. And essentially from that moment on was the steady decline of eliminating the monarchy, eliminating the papal influence from their country and really just setting the stage for a, well, separation of church and state. Yep. Um, 1790, the National, National Assembly in France required clergy to swear an oath of loyalty to the king and the nation and the state. So instead of being a, a central religious institution that even had influence on the monarchy, what you had now was the state requiring an oath of the church to its loyalty, which is a complete change from what they were before. Um, and then um, I believe it was Pope Pius VIII, I believe it was, um, essentially was run out of his, of his position of power and hid in the Vatican for several years. And then in 1801, Napoleon um, made an arrangement with the Catholic Church called the Concordat, Concordat, Con, Concordat, or if you say it differently in French, um, probably, <laughs> probably Concordat. Um, this set this set the Church of Rome as uh, the wordage that Napoleon used and the church of you know, the Catholic church agreed to was the religion of the great majority of Frenchmen. So not establishing it as its position of, of political power, but Napoleon agreeing that most of these Frenchmen are Catholic. Hmm. Um, and, um, and then we get into like 1846 when Pope Pius the ninth welcomed 
He was welcomed by the people as a warm, kindly, this is a quote, by the way, from the book Church in Plain Language, a warm and kindly, well-meaning man, and the liberals took to him for a true reformer, because on March 14th, 1848, he gave the papal states a constitution that permitted the people a moderate degree of participation in their government. Um, so all of that stuff to say, like those list of dates, was to show really how they moved from the Catholic Church, again, being association with the monarchy, the monarchy failing, and then literally like driving the Pope out of your country and then welcoming them back, but more as a religious institution mm. um, than a political institution or having any sort of political influence. Yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting to see how, like with Vatican I, um, which was a council convened by the church in the 1800s, mm -hmm. the Catholic Church, I should say, um, there was a lot of re-emphasis on the Pope's authority, mm -hmm. trying to... Because it was slipping out so much. Like yeah. it really was just because of society and yeah. all the stuff you just mentioned. So the church felt they, that she needed to reestablish the authority mm -hmm. of the Pope in order to prevent things from kind of slipping away. Right. Uh, but instead, what that kind of did was just kind of isolate the church even more. Yeah. Um, which opened up uh, the whole, um, which we'll get, we'll touch on at a later date, but why Vatican II needed to happen, which Vatican II was the uh, most recent council of the Roman Catholic Church where they're really seeking to kind of undo a lot of the, the mess-ups that the church had before and um, make the, the church more uh, in line with modern the way the modern world was, and really not in bad ways. Like That's yeah. kind of where the start of where English translations of the Catholic Bible started yeah. getting produced. Um, they it just freed the laity a lot mm -hmm. more to be able to be involved in things, which overall is a pretty positive thing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, anyways, but you can just see by what you were saying there that that's definitely, you can see how they would respond to that where they're losing all this power that they held for so long. Right. Um, it would be really scary to have that all gone. Yeah. And I think um, Bruce Shelley puts it very well in in the book here. He writes uh, through all these through all those years, the popes, Leo, the Leo, the 12th, Pius, the eighth and Gregory, um, the 16th were not bad men. They simply refused to join the 19th century. Yeah. None of them really understood the new world introduced by the French Revolution. They never figured out how to fight, uh, how to fight it or how to convert it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very so, true. And that's a one just, up the Protestants had on yeah. on Rome is Protestantism by nature, or I guess I should talk about it in the inverse. Roman Catholicism by nature really does limit progress mm -hmm. and change. Not progress in doctrine as far as like changing wholesale doctrine. Sure, because we're currently fighting that as right. Protestants. Right, right, yeah. right. Exactly. Um, but more so being able to change our methodology and our mm -hmm. structure. Because mm -hmm. Protestantism is really, I mean, one of the reasons I'm Protestant is because um, it really is so freeing <laughs> to yeah. be, and it, it, it's so adaptable in pretty much any circumstance. Because there's multiple, within Protestantism, there's lots of different views of church government. Mm -hmm. um, and you really can, in some ways, kind of 
do different things depending on your situation. Um, I'm not, I'm not entirely, uh, I guess, uh, how do I say this? I'm not entirely convinced, um, that the new Testament doesn't give us an outline for how the church is supposed to be governed. I think it does give us an outline. Right. Um, but I think there is some freedom and wiggle room to kind of organize that depending on your context too. Sure. Um, and you know, that allows for lots of variation. And I think that's a really good thing. And that really helped the Protestant church during this age of progress where everything else is changing so much. Um, the church, the Protestant church really was kind of in a, prime spot for for that to be able to happen and for the church to be able to meet the needs of the times yeah you know yeah that's pretty cool which talking about that we should probably get into how the church expanded um or didn't (laughs) depending on how you look at it yeah so basically aftermath of the great awakening is kind of what's going on here uh remember last episode we talked about how the preachers like Jonathan Edwards and Wesley and um, Whitfield and all those guys um, really evangelized the colonies and England as well. And um, there were mass conversions out of this nominal sort of Christianity that was there mm-hmm. post-Reformation. Mm-hmm. And now a lot of emphasis on the individual believer having a personal relationship with God, having a conversion experience, um, focusing on on obeying God with the power of the Spirit. So a lot of this active stuff going on, which is really cool. But aftermath of that, um, with all this progress and this all this stuff going on, people started focusing less on the institutional church and started focusing more on progressing society, technology, and science. Right. And that's why we see a pretty much from that time onward, even through today, an uptick in membership of churches that were nonconformist to institutions like the Methodists, the Baptists, um, things like that, versus the um, Anglicans and the Catholics, which were a lot more institutional mm-hmm. and uh, more traditional, which in some ways, at least perceived by the world, limited progress. But but the other Protestant groups that were more independent, like Baptists especially, and also mm-hmm. Methodists, they were able to kind of get along with that mm-hmm. because they their structures didn't inhibit them from that kind of progress. And um, yeah, yeah, so it's pretty cool. It is. It's very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Then, so, anything else that should be mentioned within that? Within that church expansion or lack of church expansion? No, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, didn't really, didn't really expand in any new ways. The Great Awakening was kind of like the, the big thing, right? Big notable thing. And I mean, again, large picture, it it would be very. I mean, oh man, never mind. I was gonna try and quote something, but I cannot remember what it is. All of the famous people that we don't know of that lived on Woodbury street 
that witness to all of his neighbors right. and expanded the gospel because he he loved his neighbors. Yes. Like who's to know who all those people are? God knows. And I'm sure there was still a work, but these big movements we're looking for, um, what thing happened that like expanded the church explosively? Um, like in the Reformation, we'll read like the during the was it 60s through 80s of like the Billy Graham and like the televangelist movement, like those kind of like big pushes and stuff. Um, what are we looking for? And we don't see those kind of things happening during this specific yes, time frame. Right. But there were totally faithful believers who were sharing the gospel and every different Christian tradition. There's always those lay people or pastors that aren't, that don't get a lot of notoriety and they don't make it on the history books but they're faithful to Christ mm -hmm. and God's kingdom is progressing through all of this. Cause I mean, yeah. we're looking backwards and none of us were there. Mm -hmm. None of us were there. And the further back you go into history, the more you run into that problem of we're working with limited sources and the only, the sources that we have, nobody kept thumb drives, are, right? Nobody exactly. has this stuff stored yeah. up. It'll, it'll be interesting if, if uh, Christ doesn't return uh, before this time, I think it's like 500 years in the future, people yeah. are looking back on this era yeah. right now. Right. For like, how crazy is that going to be? Like the, the amount of information they're going to have, assuming the right. internet doesn't go away because that's kind of where most of it is. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you just think like, like in that day, like 500 years from now, who, what would be on the history books, you know, because mm. they can't put everything on it. Like what, what kind of things, but there's so much going on. It couldn't possibly right. be recorded. That's the point of what we're trying to say is like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Probably uh, beat that horse a little too much, but anyway, <laughs> it's, it's never too much talking about the gospel. All yeah, right. Very true. So question three, how did the church witness? Yeah. Yeah. So this one, um, happening mostly in Protestant England, mainly through parachurch organizations like mission societies, Bible societies, et cetera. Um, Isaac, why don't you break us down a little bit further yeah. into those spheres? So kind of with, um, with England especially, England was, during this time, the most powerful country, even though it was defeated by the, the American Revolution. <laughs> America. um, England was still growing and mm. expanding in other areas. Mm -hmm. um, and London was like the trade capital of the world. It's so, helpful. Yeah. It was like, boom, the, the place to be. And there's a couple things I want to point out um, during this era that that's significant. So First of all, there was a lot more emphasis on parachurch organizations and mission societies, um, Bible societies, all that. And again, that had to do with the culture because within a more traditional hierarchical framework of a church organization like mm -hmm. the Roman church or the Anglican church, where, right. where the church has hierarchy of authority and you pretty much have to go through that authority to do anything yeah with the other denominations like baptist Methodists, etc you didn't have that you just had a local church and outside of that church you could do whatever you want as a christian mm -hmm. and what happened was there would be christians from multiple denominations and they would get together for a cause like starting a mission society where they would support and send out missionaries and it wasn't necessarily a church doing it but they would send it out or a group of scholars getting together to translate the Bible 
in multiple languages, starting a Bible society like the Wycliffe Bible Society and others. Um, this is kind of the start of that, where you see individuals outside of local churches banding together for different missions, still to further the gospel, um, but to, um, but for a specific purpose other than focusing on the worship of God and sacraments and disciple discipling of believers routinely. Yeah. Um, overall, I think it's actually really positive if, if done in the right way. Um, people, it didn't seem like, just looking back in history, it doesn't seem like people saw this as a substitution for gathering with their local church. Right. It was more so an, another way we can progress the Lord's kingdom mm-hmm. and the gospel, um, which, which is really cool. The downside is when people get onto these parachurch organizations, these societies, and these different groups, and substitute that with the, with the church. Yeah. 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 You Which see, we see that. Hmm? Which we see that today. Unfortunately so. You see people build their kingdom um, within their, their own parachurch organization and mm-hmm. without accountability and yeah. it just breeds just breeds sin. Yes, it does. It's it's amazing when we read scripture and it says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves. Um, And I was just listening to a great podcast on my way up here um, with Les Lanfear and Josh Bice um, talking about specifically church membership and the, and it it was great. Um, And, um, they were talking about the term koinonia and just the 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 type of the type of close relationship that word has it's not just a term for people who got together it's it's a there was a relationship aspect to that word um, more so than even family and when you see that being applied to the church and then you try and forsake that to other things under the name of Bible and Christianity seems like most of the time that doesn't work out well. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Yeah. One cool thing about this, though, um, probably super relevant, honestly, super relevant to today's time. Um, William Wilberforce, that should be a name that everyone knows, kind Mm. of the spearhead of the abolitionist movement in England. And the abolitionist movement, for those who don't know, was the movement that really sparked um, the removal of slavery, mm. but particularly the, the slave trade started there. So yeah. you got to start somewhere. Basically, what was going on during this time, is one of the reasons why England was progressing so much is they had outsourced much of their production to slaves in the West Indies. Mm. And, and, or the, I don't know if it was East Indies, West Indies. Well, there's the East India Trading Company. Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah, anyways, wherever it was, what they had done is they had taken um, Africans captive Mm. and they had forced them into slavery. They were kidnapping people Mm. and forcing them into slavery Mm. and using them to outsource production of goods and materials Mm. and all that. Uh, And people thought, you know, that was just part of society. Yeah. And, the, and the problem, like, you got to understand how serious of, of an issue this was and how complicated it was. Like, yeah. on paper, like, obviously, like, 
I think most people, or at least many people, saw like, okay, there's something wrong here. We're kidnapping people from their homes and we're forcing them into labor. That's messed up. However, this had gone on for so long. It was an integral part of society. Mm. You can't really undo that easily. Right. Like it's very difficult at that point. Because if you remove the slave trade and abolish slavery altogether, like that's a huge gap because the country was relying on this production, which yeah. wouldn't be there if they were if they stopped slavery. Yeah. Um, so from an economic standpoint, I get why people were cautious about it. However, this is where and I'm not so much speaking into history here, I'm kind of speaking theologically here where we need to remember that we are of the kingdom of God, mm. the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. So when it comes down to it, if there's a moral decision that we need to make, right or wrong, and we need to make the right decision, and it causes serious economic repercussions, it is worth it. Hands down. Righteousness is always worth it, even right. if there's suffering that proceeds from that. Right. Well, you it, don't understand. It's, it, our, our system could fall if we just outright not do this. Right. So it's like, be it. Yeah. So what? Because God, this is what God says, and we want to be, because we're if we if we don't do it that way, we're trusting in our own systems and our own wisdom. Yep. Rather than God, who says, if you if you honor me, right. you know, I'm going to take care of you. He's God. He's going to do it. He's, right. he's going to take care of his people. Right. Um, even if that doesn't look exactly the way we want it to every time, he he will take care of us ultimately. And he's going to honor that righteous decision. Um, mm. So, yeah. So, anyways, but it's really cool that the, these abolitionists and these, um, these because of these societies and these parachurch organizations, it really got to spread. There was literature being produced um, mm. against slavery and against the slave trade, which is awesome that this yeah. was happening. And eventually, of course, the slave trade was abolished and slavery began to be abolished. And the same thing was going on in the United States during you know similar time frame um, with uh, the Civil War and all that, of course, going on there. But anyways, um, so the, the big thing, uh, really, it's one of the biggest things in history. And it's curious that Christians have been on both sides of this issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? been on the side obviously the side of the abolitionist abolitionists um as well as the, our southern baptist heritage <laughs> yeah. yeah um being on the side of wanting to keep the yeah slaves. wanting to keep slaves yeah. yeah um and i think we're doing ourselves a disservice disservice if we try to talk that one away yeah. Um, and try and explain that one away with, well, I mean, it, you have to understand it was their context. That's that, that is, that is fine. However, um, I believe that there is a strong difference in when we read in scripture about slavery and how masters are to treat their slaves, um, and make that as a means to kidnap people from countries and force them to come over. They might survive. They might not. You know, it's a numbers game. And then the ones that do survive and are strong, we can keep them and make them work for free. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. Not it really the same. It's, it's not <laughs> at all the slavery that the New Testament was talking about. That was usually voluntary. Yeah. And, and But even if, it, even if it wasn't, there were certain, certain like, there's certain 
thinks about that kind of slavery that is totally different from the kind we experienced Let's a few hundred years ago. Let's break it down specific. No, we can't. It's impossible <laughs> yeah. to break that down Overly right now, but we, we do hold to that position. Oh my We're gosh. not aggregating yeah. for slavery now. Well, yeah, totally not. No. <laughs> horrifically evil. And uh, what people, I've heard people, Christians can oftentimes, in response to the world, um, overemphasize Christians' part in the abolition of slavery. Because we did play a massive part in that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we can't overlook the fact that it was also many Christians that were promoting slavery yeah. or saying it was okay. Yeah. So clearly there's a right or wrong here. And clearly you can't use this as a litmus test for whether Christianity is true. Yeah. Because the church didn't wholesale accept slavery and it didn't right. wholesale reject it. Right. Um, and when we say the church, we got to be really careful because we're just talking about Christians in general and right. variants of opinion. But clearly, I, I would hope we would all agree mm. that the slavery side was wrong. Yeah. Very wrong. Yeah. Um, and if you want to justify like people um, willingly becoming a slave of someone, which we would probably just call a servant just for the sake of Right, you know, <laughs> not right. confusing terms. Um, right. Then I, I don't think there's a problem with that with someone in, like willingly yeah. doing that. Yeah. And, and like under contract, becoming like an employee almost. Yeah. Like that's totally fine. And if yeah. you still call that slavery, okay, but you got to be careful with your terms. Exactly. And that's a lot of what we see in the in the um, New Testament regarding slavery. Um, but but like for you to be forced into it and making children do it and like like making generations of people slaves like dude that's it's messed up it's very messed up anyways we get totally off topic but well it, it's a part of it's it's definitely a part of that of this age um he played a kind of a central role in the William Wilberforce that is a central yeah. role like halfway through this age of progress is the move of the abolitionists yeah um yeah i was going to yeah do you know want to say anything else? I do. I do want to say something else. Um, well, we can always we can always edit it. Out. <laughs> but I was just, it, I think of I think of modern day application. Like, what's the point of learning from history if we don't learn from history and make changes? Yeah. And I would say the new abolitionist movement is the abolition of abortion, saying that yeah. people aren't people aren't people. These types of people are not people. These types of people are under our control. Because I've honestly heard that same argument of, well, this will disrupt our system. Um, I've heard some arguments saying, well, so you're telling me that there's um, over like 5 million babies around the world being murdered every single year. Could, I mean, what kind of population would we have if we let that, if we like would, if we just let all of those babies come to life? That's a problem I'm willing to have. Yeah. That's a way better issue and a way better problem than we should probably just kill them. Yeah. As far as when we were talking about like, well, this is integral into our system. If we just let them all go, our economy is going to collapse, all this, this, this. Like, but it's wrong. The same thing. Like, I have, again, I, I don't want to create that as the argument for people that are pro choice. Uh, I haven't heard that argument a lot, but. At some point, that's your only argument you come to because d not even doctors will say that that's not a life. It's 
it, it is science, and I know there are people who disagree, and I don't know and how wrong. or why. They're wrong. They're you. I I scientifically, we know so much about the human anatomy, how it works, how it produces humans, um, what our our human traits consist of. All these things, even scientists, doctors who who are still performing these abortions will say that it is a life. It is the same life. It, it, it's just a matter of, and I saw one person say, uh, talking about people who, who are women who are pregnant and are murdered. Some of them are charged with double homicide and some of uh, those murderers and some of, and people who abort their babies are not murdered at all. How can those two things? And I heard someone say, well, no, obviously since that person wanted the baby, that's a life. But if someone doesn't want the baby, it's not a life. That doesn't you how does that doesn't make sense? You can't be the arbitrator of life, because then I'll say, well, no, I could kill my wife. She's my wife, so I just I just don't think that she should have life anymore. You can't just arbitrarily, anyways. Yeah. So yeah, what can we right. learn from history is people matter. We said this in our bonus episode: being made in the image of God, in and of itself, gives you value and yeah. gives you um respect and honor you should not die before you have the chance to breathe oxygen by yourself yeah because someone thought that their life would be easier without a baby yeah again i'm not going to say that's everybody because some people might be like well that's not that's not very respectful for people who are raped the 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 numbers are are very true they're they're not easy to make up that makes up about less than i think it's three percent right of all abortions right of and all e abortions even there like Two wrongs don't make a right. Exactly. You but. don't murder the children for the sins of the father. Yeah. That we're talking about life. What what should we do with life? We should treat all life. What a what a good way to redeem a horrible situation to have something beautiful come out of it. A, a child, beautiful you get to child, love and raise, you know, <laughs> that is going to laugh and smile and have absolutely no. I mean, obviously, that's up to the parent if you want to tell them about the history. But when they're born and they're two years old and they're walking around, they're not thinking probably shouldn't be here because my father was a rapist like yeah that's a child the child is laughing and loving life it has no idea of how it came around but it's yeah. a life life is worth living even no life matter is worth living no matter how it came about exactly yep. so hmm. we should learn from history life matters we shouldn't deem some lives not lives and some other lives more valuable than lives lives are lives lives their are lives. image they're made in the image of god right hashtag on, lives are lives <laughs> Boom. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. I think that's a wrap. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining with us. Um, please subscribe on your favorite or not favorite podcast platform. Um, and if you would love to, we would love to have that honest or fake five-star review. Yeah. Help share the word. That's right. Deuces. Later. Later.